Search engine marketing formulated for Web 2.0. Find it here every week on SEM Synergy. Join your host as we learn from the elite of search engine marketing pros and find the winning formula for exceptional search engine marketing. Get the latest news, trends, and analysis in SEO, PPC, branding, SEO design, and analytics. Now, welcome your host, a founding father of SEO and an accomplished search engine marketing scholar, the host of SEM Synergy, Bruce Clay. Welcome to SEM Synergy. I'm your host, Bruce Clay. I'm here today with Virginia and Rob Ramirez. Hi, everybody. Hello. SEM Synergy is our weekly digital marketing podcast airing Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific on webmasterradio.fm and available after that on iTunes. If you're listening, uh, we would also love for you to leave us a review. Just go down to scmsynergy.com slash iTunes and tell us and others what you think of the show. So happy post-Thanksgiving and into the holiday seasons. That's exciting. I can't believe... I mean, you say it every year, but how did we get here? Yeah, a lot of people are forgetting it's already December. Yeah. Um, while we were on Thanksgiving break, um, things didn't stop in the search world, and I guess there was some talk about um, a Thanksgiving shuffle in rankings. Yeah, I, I read a number of people indicating that uh, they had gotten hit when 3.0 Penguin came out, and that they were starting to recover, and then all of a sudden they took another hit. So maybe a kinder, gentler penguin isn't what we see. Hmm. We also, a lot of reports online anyways, of some folks who actually got hit with 3.0 and then recovered uh, when this refresh, I guess we'll call it, happened uh, over the Thanksgiving holiday. It's not totally unheard of for Google to refresh their algorithms, especially their larger ones, about a month after uh, the first uh, it initially launches. Um, Usually they're able at that point to see the errors, uh, the types of things that people are complaining about, the types of results that they didn't anticipate in a live environment, and about a month month in, they're usually able to flip the switch again and kind of massage things to get them to where they wanted them to be. You know, they, I think we're seeing two different phenomena. The duration of the three Penguin 3 rollout is months. And I believe that the real intent behind that is it takes a long time to re-spider an entire, you know, 60 trillion database element We've covered this a little bit earlier in another show, but it takes a while for them to fill in the elements in a database that were never previously in the database. I mean, they create the fields, but now they have to populate them by respidering everybody. And then they have to actually determine trust by looking who links to the people who link to you. It just takes a long time. It's very similar to the page rank type things. And when they do that, it just becomes horribly lengthy in time. And I thought that what was happening, there was, there was a consistent evolution of ranking as more and more pages were being re-indexed, as the elements in the database were being filled. And it seemed to me, at least, that that's what was going on. I'm not with Google, so I'm, who knows what they're doing. But um, quite frankly, it seemed that way. What we saw still 
I agree, seem to be more of an algorithmic change. In other words, the ones that were already in the database, they were impacted. Because that is, will just fundamentally change the formula that handles the data in the database, which is different from populating the database, which takes a, a lengthy amount of time. Um, I was mentioning earlier, the way back when, I think it was like 300 internet years ago, <laughs> there was an update referred to as Chicago. And the uh, sort of uh, the story and preamble to Chicago is uh, we had developed a product that would just document links, right? It was called Link Maps. It would document links. So what it would do is run out and find everybody linking to you, very much like what goes on now with Majestic SEO and Ahrefs. We had that, except instead, what we also wanted to do is feed that list to the search engines and cause those pages to be spidered. So the search engine would discover those links, not just us, which seems to be a natural evolution for where you know, Majestic and everybody else might go. So we published that thing, and um, it was no index followed. So these pages were not in the index, and, but we were finding all these links. And when we went to the link, we were getting 404 errors. So I dealt with Matt back then, and uh, it turned out that when they would index pages in the main index and they found the link, they'd put it in the link index, two different databases. When it went 404 in the main index, they didn't purge it from the link index. So the link index seemed to have 30, maybe 40% of the links actually passing page rank no longer existed, and they didn't know it because they didn't purge anything from there. And this was about nine months to 10, maybe 11 months before they were due to go public. And this is my personal opinion. They couldn't really go public and reveal to the world, because they'd have to, that they knew there was a bug in the PageRank database <laughs> that was 30, 40% corrupted. So what they did is very quick like a bunny, they went in and started rebuilding the PageRank database, the link database. And it appeared as if what they did was they took 20% of the sites, because they couldn't do it to everybody all at once. They assumed a lot of it was still right. They purged all the inbound links to those sites and rebuilt them. Then the next 20%, then the next 20%, and they walked through their whole database. And it took them um, six, eight weeks. At least that's the way it appeared to us. And we were watching it. And the big complaint was all the top-ranked sites vanished. And this was right up until perhaps October. They vanished. All the ranking went away because all their page rank went away, and it took like 10 days, and then their rankings came back. So that's what Chicago was. Then the next dance. round, the next layer went away, and then their rankings came back. And then the next layer went away, and then their rankings came back. And what Google, in my opinion, was doing is purging and recalibrating the link database. Logical thing to do, 
They finished it more than six months before their IPO. It never, nobody ever said it did exist or didn't exist or what they were doing. Nobody explained any of it. But there was a massive amount of chaos around that Chicago update. Now, what are we finding? Right. Same, same MO, it seems anyways. Yes. As Google continually goes out and recrawls all of the links uh, that have been disavowed, that are going into the you know factoring page rank, right? We can still use that term, um, uh, you know, and, and seemingly the the time frame would fall in line with uh, you know 90 days, which is kind of what Google has always said. That's how long it takes uh, for you know the worst of links, the the sites that they neglect the most. Uh, that's how little they will go back and visit. But every 90 days or so, they'll go back and make sure it's still there. And in this case, probably discount the links and the value of the sites that are associated with it. It's interesting to see uh, so much of what's happening with uh, the Penguin 3.0 and now 3.1, if we're going to call it that, um, happening in international space. It seems uh, there's a lot of attention uh, going on to uh, those sites, uh, the link graph uh, as it relates uh, on a worldwide scale, um, which is kind of an interesting dynamic, something that we probably, uh, in the U.S. anyways, haven't paid much attention to in the past, but certainly are now, because those those international sites seem to be the first to be affected by this stuff. Um, we see a lot of uh, announcements from Google about them shutting down link networks and a lot of them being overseas in Poland and these types of places. Clearly them spending a lot more time and energy uh, in cleaning up uh, things abroad, uh, which is where a lot of bad links are coming from, at least for our sites as we go through and clean them up. We see a lot of foreign domains uh, pointing to folks uh, and, uh, you know, kind of, uh, I think I read somewhere they they called it the Wild West when it comes to these kind of, uh, you know, uh, linking and, and cross-linking and, and building these scraper sites. Uh, and uh, Google clearly making a concerted effort to clean that up uh, around the world, obviously. Well, I think that that's going to be a big, big, big issue. So um, we know that Google has found that over time, because their main focus was by language and it was mostly in the English-speaking areas, that there wasn't as aggressive of a of spam detection capability in Google for foreign languages. And therefore, I think that a lot of these spammers found that they could go to a foreign language environment and generate link farms and link networks and everything else and fly under the radar. Now Google has totally adapted, I think, and those are no longer invisible. And as they suddenly pop up, we're finding perhaps what Europe is seeing is that they're finally getting even 2.0 detection. Mm -hmm. I mean, it might be the first time they're really so obviously available that this might be the history of the last two years catching up in Europe. Sure. Makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And uh, we obviously haven't seen the last of, of Penguin and, and these types of fluctuations. Um, there was speculation that, you know, the holidays would indicate kind of a period where um, there would be no changes, no major shifts, no major shakeups. But, you know, Google kind of, uh, um, you know, that discounted that, right? I mean, they did it on Thanksgiving weekend, you know, just before Black Friday, um, which is an interesting kind of dynamic. Um, so clearly, uh, to be continued, right? We're going to, it's not the last we're going to hear of this, that's for sure. Well, if the, if the change really detected spammers, 
there won't be a lot of complaint. There'll be a lot of buzz. If it detected innocence, mm -hmm. you know, collateral damage kind of thing, then doing that just before the holiday weekend would have been, you know, pretty bad, actually. <laughs> uh, Google, in the past, has taken beaten, beatings uh, where people have actually said to them that Google made the change to force people to buy pay-per-click. Sure. And I really don't think Google wants to be referred to as the Grinch. And, you know, that's just something we have to understand. Absolutely. Um, all right. If you have questions about Penguin links or are wondering if you might be affected, um, go to bruceclay.com and fill out the get a quote form and find out more about our SEO penalty assessment and services. Stay right there. After the break, we've got Rick Dragon of Dragon Search Marketing uh, with some social media and content marketing lessons. SEM Synergy is on the way. Don't go away. SEM Synergy will be right back. ShipStation helps online retailers ship orders faster. It's so easy to set up and use. ShipStation gives you tools to automatically import, manage, and ship your orders in the most cost-efficient way. Save money with the best USPS rates possible, as well as a free USPS account. ShipStation integrates with all the most popular e-commerce platforms and shipping carriers. Get shipping done no matter where you sell or how you ship. WebmasterRadio.fm listeners get an additional 30 days free after the free 30-day trial. Go to ShipStation.com slash Webmaster Radio now. Shipping Nirvana starts here. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, so you know their SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today. At Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is authoritylabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is AuthorityLabs.com. Search engine marketing formulated for Web 2.0. You're listening to SEM Synergy on WebmasterRadio.fm. Hi, welcome back to SEM Synergy. This is Virginia Nessie, and I'm joined by Rick Dragon. Rick's the CEO at Dragon Search Marketing. He's author of Social Marketology, which in 2013 won a Small Business Book Award. And he is a contributor of Content Marketing Strategies for Professionals by Bruce Clay and Marie Newlands, among lots of other things. Thank you for joining us on the show today, Rick. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, I was, you know, kind of doing my prep for our interview today, and a lot of themes emerged, and I could start it in multiple directions. Like, we could talk about the um, case study that you contributed to Content Marketing Strategies for Professionals. Um, 
So in the social media section of the book, um, you, which covers how social media is used, you know, in content marketing, you laid out a case study of the Ford Motor Company and how they um, are approaching social media as this always-on mentality. Um, social media is kind of your um, passion, I guess, in digital marketing. It is. Yes, it is. Um, what? Why did the Ford case study stand out to you? Well, the work that is has been happening at Ford has has always been of interest. They've done some beautiful, beautiful things. One of the things that has most excited me about their work is the development of a content portal. So they've created their own homegrown portal that they can invite bloggers to come in and participate in. They can become then uh, recipients of beautiful quality content fresh off the press, so to speak. So it's like an old press room, but it's much more dynamic than that. And it, it uses a little bit of gamification. It uses a little bit of influencer marketing, if you will. So it's it's really incredible, cl incredibly clever. And I, I just like their whole mentality and their approach towards it, particularly when you compare it with the other large automobile manufacturers. Hmm. Um, they, there was one quote by Scott Monty who kind of heads up their social there, which was having to educate ourselves on the difference between advertising and, and content. And I guess that kind of speaks to that. Exactly. Now, by the way, Scott has moved on uh, in the past, I think, half year. He's now uh, over at Altimeter Group, one of our most respected individuals in this industry for sure. Just a, a really smart guy and fabulous speaker. But yeah, I mean, imagine, imagine you're an automobile manufacturer and here you've got your great huge marketing budget to make magic happen. And, you know, the, the tradition is you go out there and, of course, you buy tons and tons of, of advertising. You're basically trying to own that mind share, that top of mind awareness that, you know, somebody thinks car, they think your car. They think safe family car, they think your car. And that's sort of the game. And Ford said, well, we're going to take it way beyond advertising and really embrace you know, all of this new media, user-generated content, social media, and you know, some of the dynamic ways of using the platforms that, that are really quite experimental on the forefront. Case studies makes up a lot of your writing because um, you're also a contributor at Marketing Land and Social Media Monthly or Social Media Today. And, Social Media Today, yep. Um, and so I, I noticed that you know con uh, case studies seems to be a, a place where you find a lot of inspiration for sharing with people. So, so imagine for any of us marketers, you know, and by the way, so I, I teach this course at NYU on digital marketing and analytics, and some really brilliant people come to my class, you know, people who've been in marketing for a long time with some really large companies, and all of them still face very similar sort of challenges that we all, we all do, and that is, you know, social media marketing, digital marketing is somewhat new. It's only in the past decade that search marketing has really been big. It's only in the past seven years that social media has been a driving force. And, and that's even only grown more so in the past few years. So all of a sudden, you're, you're juggling these budgets. Your job is to make the most incredible magic happen with this budget possible. And you're like, okay, so there's this social media. 
Now, one of the big things that I've noticed, Virginia, is that a lot of people just sort of think of social media as one big thing. Oh, let's go get our Facebook page. Let's do a viral video. And, you know, the most shallow approaches to the concepts of social media are, are what's thought of out there. And what we've discovered in our research is that there's actually like five major approaches to social media. So there's that approach that happens in companies that really have a big customer-facing relationship. You know, airlines, banks, these types of entities do very well with what we call brand maintenance. They do light content marketing, and they're interacting with customers. And then there's community work, which is where you're placing yourself, you know, within a community, whether it's an affinity community or a community of, of loyal advocates internally or externally. There's the whole thought leadership, which includes content marketing. There's influencer marketing. And then the fifth is what we call the big splash. And that's just your big sort of viral campaigns, the Old Spice guy, Pepsi refresh campaign. Big campaigns that are designed to get a lot of attention but don't necessarily build community or long-term relationships with influencers. So there's these five major approaches. And then there's blends of those five. You can mix them up, whatever's right for your company. But every single organization is different. The needs of every single organization are different. So you can't just cookie cutter go, oh, we're going to do this. And you're faced with the, the thing of, well, what should we do? What can we do? What are the possibilities? And thus, I maintain that as a marketer, you need to be an av avid student of case studies. Because this is happening, the changes are happening so rapidly, you need to be out there looking at what is best in breed, what other people are doing, and the successes that they're having or not. Well, that makes sense. Is that the kind of thing then you lay out in social marketology, like how to come up with your own blend and a plan that maybe works for your business? Well, social marketology is a framework, and it's more what you might call a whole system approach to developing strategy for an organization. So, you know, there's the internal, the external, you know, aspects of the whole ecosystem that a brand exists in. So we really believe in, for instance, doing what we call micro-segmentation. You know, old school marketing always did segmentation, but we take it to an extreme because in social media, you're not just talking about, say, for instance, you know, people who are going to a particular school of music, but no, people who are into you know, world music and go Zydeco dancing every Thursday night at that school of music. Much more particular. So we do that type of work. We, we're a big believer in doing competitive analysis. Uh, we, we do a lot of online ethnography or online research around communities and influencers. And it's really looking at the whole system and then looking at your big five approaches and developing that blend. But interestingly, the concept of doing that blend is touched on in the book, but hadn't been as fully fleshed out as it has been in the past couple of years since the book came out. Mm. Um, okay, so let's talk about then um, maybe developing your brand personality and voice. Um, if mm -hmm. we want to just dive into one particular kind of issue that you, you cover in the book, um, can you give us any tips or stories? kind of illuminate that challenge? Well, it's it's exciting. It's an ex it is an exciting issue. You know, traditionally marketers, you know, customer personas. 
And you might go into a, a marketer's office and see up on the wall perhaps some you know personality or persona boards, which by the way, that concept didn't come out of marketing. It originally came out of computer programming, the original persona boards. But then it was adopted by marketing. And marketers were like, wow, let's really try to flesh these out. Now, when you develop persona boards, you know, you're trying not to be generic. If somebody puts a stock photo up on a, a persona board, you should give them a slap up against the side of the head. It needs to be very, very specific. You want to think about real people. Now, you can also turn the table and say, well, let's create a persona board for the, for the brand. Who is the brand? If the brand should wake up one morning, get out of bed, have a bowl of cereal, walk across town and knock on your door, and you open the door, who are you meeting? Right? Are they nice? Are they, are they grumpy? Or the, is it a soccer mom? Uh, we actually did a study, a replication of a study that came from the 1960s where we asked people, hey, if a certain brand woke up and knocked on your door, who would you meet? And interestingly, the majority of people identified Starbucks as a soccer mom and Google as a hip young Asian guy. They also identified British Petroleum as a grumpy middle-aged man, and that was after British Petroleum spent over $550 million developing their new logo and painting it on the sides of all their trucks, signs, and ships. So imagine spending $550, you know, $550 million and still being seen as a grumpy middle-aged man. Wow. So if, if everybody working on social media for a particular brand is more understanding, more cognizant of the brand persona. And you may decide as time goes on, let's refine it, let's make it more of this, let's shift it from being this to a little bit more of this, let's be more clever or more humorous if it's in line with our brand or whatever, and develop that persona and then really make sure that it's communicated well to everybody on the team so that there's more consistency. I absolutely love the idea of thinking about the brand as a persona in the same way that you try to develop your audience personas and that's not like a flip two sides of a coin thing that I'd ever thought about. Um, I guess I have one more question for you while I've got you. Um, I noticed that Dragon Search holds workshops um, for, you know, whether it's um, a website uh, more attractive to search or for like social media. Um, kind of stuff um, and I would I was wondering how that's gone um, like this kind of small business community outreach because it seems like it could be challenging to communicate the value to this group who's already very busy running a business and is the demand there is that why where that came from or um, are there what are the hurdles you found in helping businesses understand how they can win on the internet? Oh, there's there's huge hurdles, and I think I think you hit it on the nail. It's it's funny. I've been in business. I became an entrepreneur 17 years ago and started my first business. And when I got my first employee, I thought I was such hot stuff. And I would go down to the the local small business administration office, and and I knew that they would just want to write checks for me and give me money because I was now a business owner in the community and uh, discovered that no, they, they weren't going to throw money at my feet. They wanted me to write a business plan. And I remember at the time being sort of mortified, like how, how am I going to have time to write a business plan? I'm busy you know, running a business. And yet today, the idea of not working on a business plan is, is ludicrous, right? You're, you're going to work on your business plan. 
Um, and it's frequently writing a business really like cooking. It's an old joke my dad used to say about cooking carp. You know, carp is just a bottom feeding fish that you'd never eat, but you do all this stuff on a piece of fine wood, like a piece of maple, and you pound spices into it. And the story goes on and on. You throw the fish away and eat the board. And that's what <laughs> developing, you know, a business plan is about. It's the process you go through it actually has more value than the actual document at the end of the day. But it is true. Small businesses are really pressed for time. And but they're also some of them have the biggest opportunities for success through using social because they can be a little bit more agile. I mean, think a, a new clothes brand and let's say they're a company and they've got employees and they've their resources are really stretched. There's only so much they can do. Whereas that young entrepreneur who's coming up with it can spend those extra hours at night jumping on social and doing some magic stuff. So really it can be the secret sauce, you know, to, to if entrepreneurs are willing. Now we do it, A, because we're just huge believers in giving back to the community. Uh, I've always enjoyed it. It's a great way for other people in the organization to get training with their own teaching and, and when you teach, you yourself are learning things even more deeply. It's just a whole dynamic that I find is very rewarding for the company. It's very interesting and um, I guess I, I should share that you uh, are stepping down as CEO from Dragon Search at the end of the month. Uh, I don't imagine that will be the last we see of you in the digital marketing space. I mean you mentioned you're a professor, an adjunct professor at NYU um, teaching marketing there. Yep. And you know you, you've got your contributor spots and uh, Maybe you'll keep those up as well, but it's always awesome to hear from you, Rick. It's always a pleasure chatting with you guys over there at Bruce Clay. Um, you can go to dragonsearchmarketing.com to in Kingston, New York, and um, and follow Rick on Twitter, where you're at Rick Dragon without the K. Um, and I think that's it. I hope you have a great holiday, Rick. Thank you. You as well. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business -business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.